book of 2 Peter. So this is kind of like the track that we're going on. And um, it's called Bible Exposition. So sometimes you go to church and they do topical studies or they'll do they'll teach in series. I do a lot of that. And this is um, what's called exposition or expository teaching. So, you're, I mean, I'm not going to go through every line because it's like it would take me, a, if I did that, it would take me a long time. But you're basically taking a chapter and you're expounding upon it. You're trying to teach the book in its context. So we're looking at 2 Peter, right? So let me say it with me. You are what you eat. Do you believe that? Yeah. You ever eaten crazy food and you just feel really weird, right? And then your body starts doing weird stuff. You know, when you're 20, you can eat anything. I, I, have you all been there, right? You're like, when you're like, you watch your kids and they just eat anything. It just doesn't even affect them. You eat the wrong food and you're like, I got to take a nap. You know, you're like, oh, I don't feel good. You know, it's, it's wild how your body responds to what you, what you eat. It makes sense, right? It's the same thing that's true with your faith. It's the same thing that's true in Christianity. And this is where Peter is going to address this issue with these churches this morning. The majority of the New Testament is letters. So we have all these letters that were written to the Christian churches. And the biggest thing that happens within the, these letters is that the writer, usually it's Paul, sometimes it's Peter, sometimes it's James. We have different writers in the, in the New Testament. They're writing to churches for correction and direction exhortation, comfort. They're approving the things that are right. They're directing them in the, in the directions that they should go. But they're also bringing a lot of correction. And the biggest correction that they're bringing is always, it's almost always the same thing. It's always against false teaching. Well, what is false teaching? False teaching is a competition of voices. If you understand how this has begun from the beginning is it was always a competing, it was always a competition of voices. When Adam fell, God asked him, he said, who told you this? We're, that's why you hear me say it all the time. Who told you that? We, part of our faith is in learning to discern God's voice above all the other noise yeah. and choosing to follow his voice through his word, through his spirit, through his revelation, you know, the, it, choosing his voice above every other voice. This is part of the, the journey of Christians. And it was very, people always say this, oh, man, if we could just go back to the early church. Have you ever seen the early church? It was a train wreck right? They didn't have anything. And so they were, they were all, there was pretty much a lot going on. They were all just making it up as they went along. And sometimes they got it right, and sometimes they got it wrong. And so when they got it wrong, they had to bring it, you know, that's when the apostles and the different, you know, the, the disciples, in particular John, Peter, Paul, they would come in and they would correct the church in the frame that they were working off of. And this is kind of where, where, where it's going. And so he's going to talk a lot about voices and what they're listening to. And he has very strong words, and I'll tell you why he has very strong words. But the thing we need to know is, uh, Proverbs says this, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the issues of life. Right? You have to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Your heart, from what, you, what comes in you, is what comes out of you. You are what you eat. Right? And the Bible talks about gates. We have gates to our heart. Our, the gates to our heart are our eyes. In our ears, these are the gates to our heart. The mouth is what comes out of your heart. Out of the abundance of the mouth, out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But what comes into the heart comes in through the eyes and comes in through the ears. And the Bible says, guard it with all diligence. Protect it because it's valuable. None of you would leave your doors wide open, would you? And just go off on vacation? You know, at least just leave everything wide open. Come on in, anybody you want to. You'd, you'd come back and you wouldn't even know what's in your house. You'd have raccoons. You know, you'd have spiders. You'd have people living there like, who are you? You know, well, I just saw the door open. I thought I'd come in and camp out for a while. 
You know, and the Bible's talking about like that we guard our heart with the same the same thing. And what we're guarding against, say it, we're guarding against contradictions. This is the biggest thing. We're guarding against that which conflicts or contradicts Jesus. That which conflict conflicts or contradicts God's God's word. This is what we're guarding against. And we're not to consume things that are contradictory to what God is saying to us. Because if we do that, it's not going to be very long that we find ourselves off the road. Anybody listen to music and you can't get that song out of your head? Right? And sometimes it's not the best song to be going over and over and over in your head. Right? Or you watch certain things and you're like, why did I watch that? I can't get that image out of my head. I can't stop watching. I can't stop seeing that because it's in you. You have gates. And so you have to be aware of that. You have to be willing to guard your heart. And the Bible actually instructs us. So let me ask you this question before I read this really terse passage of Scripture. So Aurora, if you had a little grandbaby, right? So if you any all, all in any ladies out here, we're going to talk to the women here because you'll really see it out of the women. And you had a little baby. And you like were a little bit away from the baby. And then people started coming and messing with the baby and you knew they were messing with the baby, how would you react? Would you walk over and very graciously, and you knew that that baby was under threat, how would you react? You would protect him. You wouldn't be very nice about it, would you? You'd be pretty straight. Don't come near my child. Don't ever come near my child. Don't touch my child. You know, it's interesting that the more vulnerable the child is, the more aggressive we are in protecting it. You know what I mean? The older we get, we're kind of like, ah, he's 13, he's juggling steak knives, he's all right, he's cool, you know? But when they're babies, we're protecting them from everything, right? You're, you're just, you're always, that child is always within view, always within view. This is what's going on here in this, in, in, in this, in this church. The church is newborn. Peter's still alive. So you're talking about this happening within about 50 years of the resurrection, easily, if not sooner. And what's happening here is there's a lot of threats coming into this infant that has just been born. The church has barely formed itself, you know, still on Gerber, still on baby food, still nursing, still needs its diaper changed. All that stuff's going on. And you got all of these threats that are coming into the churches. And that's what you see a lot in the New Testament is all these competing voices and all of these outward threats. The threat wasn't physical. The threat, the threat was influential. You understand that? There was no physical threat to the church. There was an influence threat. The, th the, the voices in all of these narratives were trying to influence the people in a direction that was outside of what God intended for them. And so when Peter's talking about this, he's trying to say, I need you to understand who and what it is that you're dealing with here. And don't listen to these people. Don't listen to these voices. Don't listen to this contradiction. So everybody take a deep breath. So now you understand where he's coming from? You understand what Peter's going to say? You know, we look at it like, look at Peter, blah, 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 blah. Well, why is he saying that? If somebody were to observe you defending your child or your baby, they would think, whoa, that woman's a mama bear. Don't mess with her, right? But you're probably just a kind person. But something that's valuable to you is being threatened. And so part of you is emerging to, to, bend that, to, to protect that threat. That's what's going on here. So Peter says this. So I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to fall back to the last part, because I like hope. I'm all in on hope. Anybody here on hope? Right? I like to be a hope dealer. I like to bring hope. So the last part of chapter 1, I'm going to do that at the end, but I want to just take the part of the, the whole chapter of chapter 2 is basically what I'm about to say. There's more to it, but you'll get the picture. He just keeps going on. He goes off. 
He said there were, there were false prophets among the people, talking about back in the day before the church was born, just as there will be false teachers among you. They come in secretly and bring destructive heresies. They deny or contradict the sovereign Lord who bought them, and they bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their sensual conduct and will bring the way of truth into a misalignment. In their covetousness, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated words. Their condemnation of those who have followed this way before, in other words, they're not doing anything new, they're just repeating something that's gone on for a long time, and the same condemnation that happened to those before is the same condemnation that will hang over them. And their destruction is not idle. So I want to take this word destruction. I'm going to keep going, but I want to take this word destruction. When he uses this word destruction, he uses a Greek word apollyon, right? And this word apollyon means loss of being. He's saying that this path that these guys are leading on will cause them to lose. It's basically, it's summed up with the word loss. But one of the things that this word apollyon means is it means loss of being, loss of sense, loss of direction. And when you follow ways that are out contra, look, Jesus is the way of life, is he not? Right? There's a lot of paths you can follow, but Jesus is always the right one. He's always the right one. And he's saying, look, if you follow these paths, you're going to lose your being. You're going to lose all sense of yourself. This is something that happens even within the church. The church doesn't teach things correctly. And this is why we have, a, we have cascading groups of Christians who have no sense of themselves. They have no sense of being. They have no sense of, they have no, no sense of anything because they're being taught something. They're, they're just giving, they're, get, they're on puree when they should be on steak. That's the problem. And they don't have a sense of direction. They don't have a sense of heart. This is what God is saying. He's using this word apollyon. He said their destruction, the loss of being, they're going to lose sense of themselves. And their ways will, bring, will cause you to lose sense of yourself. He also uses this word here, and he says, in their covetousness, they will exploit you. Right? I'm going to get into that, too. It says, for God, then he uses three, three examples. He said, look, you know, because everybody's kind of confused. Well, you know, he wears really good clothes, man. Paul, this guy, you know, I know he doesn't say the same thing. Peter, he's not saying the same thing you are. You know, we really like you, Peter, but this guy, you know, you know, he brings skinny jeans and smoke machines, man. You know, we really like this guy. We really like his hair. You know, we like the way that he says things. We just like it. And Peter's like, okay, you like it. So let me give you three case studies. And he goes into three case studies. And he says this, the angels that sinned before the Lord, God did not spare them. The angel said, we're going to do it our way, and we want it now, and we're going to do it our way. We don't like you. We don't want you ruling over us. We don't like your rules. We don't like your rules aren't cool. Your presence isn't enough for us. Go figure. We want to kind of do it ourselves. The Lord said, have at it. And they were cast out and cast down. And he said, and the Lord says this. He said, if he did not spare the ancient world, this is the world before the flood. Same thing's going on here. The, the, the people are saying, we don't want to follow God. We want to create our own God. And that was this whole system that was going on in the ancient world. And even thereafter was they were creating different ways of worship and different, all these different crazy things were going on there. And God didn't spare that world either. He didn't spare it. And he said, nor did he spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, but he burnt them to ash. I told you, he's pretty direct. 
Yeah, I mean, I've read Peter several times and like, but, you know, like even looking at it and I think to myself, James is usually the one that's like right up in your face. You think, you know, you don't know anything. That's how James talks, right? You ever want to, you ever want to like give yourself a couple, just read the book of James. Just what, you don't know anything, man. Who do you, you know, he's just kind of like that. And so Peter's, Peter's pretty much there too. It says he burned them to ash and he made an example of them as what's going to happen for those who follow godlessness. It's like, look, be aware. The guy looks great. The per, you know, they got everything going on. Their production value is high, but there's no substance behind what it is that they're saying. Just a thought. And if he rescued Lot, the righteous one who was distressed and depraved, and he was vexed every day because he was in a culture, right? He was tormented by this culture. Then the Lord will be able to rescue you from the trials that you go through. Because people are like, oh, I don't know. It's so hard. Everybody's doing it. This is like torture, man. It's like torture. It's torture to go against the flow, man. Everybody's doing it. And he's like, yeah, everybody's doing it. You feel tortured? Well, how about Lot? Lot was in a culture that was completely off the rails, and God, God helped him. He says, these men are bold and arrogant, and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. They speak of matters that they do not understand. In other words, they have no clue what they're talking about. It's a modern church. Everybody thinks they can teach, but they don't have any idea what they're talking about. They have no idea. Right? We teach in segmental parts of the scripture. Paul said, I'm innocent of all men's blood because I've not failed to preach to you the whole counsel of God. It's the whole counsel of God. Not a part of the counsel of God. It's the whole. It's not a salad bar. Well, I'll take some cherry tomatoes. Oh, I don't like red onions. Ooh, no, no, no. They give me bad breath. I don't want that. You know, oh, they only got romaine. I really want kale. You know, that's how we treat it. It's the whole thing, man. We have to do the whole counsel of God. So they're bold and they're arrogant. They want to tell you. They want to control you. They want to dominate you. <laughs> Watch this. They're like unconscionable, unreasoning animals that move only by instinct. They're not teaching you with any sense of guidance. They're not speaking to you with any sense of guidance. They're simply teaching you out of instinct and impulse. You understand? There's no guidance. Well, this feels right. This seems right. Everything's instinctive. Everything's what they think, what I feel, what I want. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. They're instinctive creatures. They're born to be destroyed. And like the animals they are, without conscience, they will perish. He's going to tell them that. He's going to say, you're following, all, you're following glam slam. Just be aware that this is going to lead nowhere. You'll lose sense of being. You'll find your faith shallow. You'll find yourself, yourself empty. And you'll find yourself sooner or later dry and barren. And this is why. And the people that are teaching you this and those that are corrupting that, this, those people will be brought before the Lord. All should not seek to be teachers, the Bible says. They will face a stricter judgment. I get a harder judgment than you. I'm aware of that every single time. Right? There's 10 times I come up here. I'm aware of it at least eight. I'm like, I am accountable for this. I do, where do I lead them? Am I leading them to Jesus or am I leading them to myself? Am I leading them to Jesus or am I leading them away from him? Am I building them into cultural tolerance or am I bringing them into kingdom consciousness? That's the question. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I'm, it's true. You know, it's like everybody, you know, hey, we're at the disco throne. Jesus is giving out rewards. We all got our rewards. We're like, woo. And we're all going to go, come on, let's party. And he's going to go, oh, uh, Kevin, could you come back here for a minute? 
<laughs> Round two. Let's take a look here. What did you do for me? What, how did you lead them? Did you lead them rightly? Did you lead them wrongly? What did you do? <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Thank, oh, thanks, Tony. <laughs> so they were teaching what was popular. They were teaching what was, they, they were teaching what was popular. They were shifting. They were trying to lead the church into the relevancy of the culture. Jesus' call of hand upon the church is that the church goes into the culture, that the kingdom is to affect change within the culture. But the culture is not to affect change within the church. You see, we got it wrong. Like, well, we just got to be culturally relevant. I'm like, do we? Do we? Look, I'm all in. We can modernize in every way. But the culture is an ethos. It's a way of thinking, Right? And so what God is saying is that ethos, that way of thinking, cannot infiltrate itself into the church. The kingdom's way of thinking must go out into the world. The way we do business, the way we do marriage, the way we relate to one another, our ways. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means it's the river of our life. Generosity is a river of your life. Kindness is a, is a river of your life. Forgiveness, restoration is a, is a river of your life. Righteousness is a rhythm of your life. Oh, dare I say it? Morality is a rhythm of your life. That's, that's the rhythm. It's not about being a rule keeper and walking around and pretending like we, you know, we all look stoic and righteous. No, there's rhythms. There's ethos. There's, cult, there's rhythms. The Bible calls it a fragrance, the fragrance of Christ. What's coming out of your life, right? What's coming out? Generosity, kindness, mercy, justice, truth, righteousness, courage, fearlessness, hopefulness, hope. Speaking hope in a hopeless world, that'll get you attention. Everybody's hopeless. Everybody, sit around the water cooler. Some of y'all at work. Everybody, oh, man, oh, God, oh, Jesus, oh. It's all bad. Oh, it's going down, it's going down. It's really bad. I saw my wife, you know, and I was telling him, like, just how, like, we get so pulled by things, right? And he's like, have you seen the gas prices? Yeah, I have, you know, one time I was pumping, this is recently, you know, because it's been, I'm pumping gas, and I'm like, I'm like, ah, Lord, what about the gas? He's like, don't look at it. So he told me, stop looking at it, right? What's it going to cost you? Another hundred bucks a month? You can't believe me for another hundred bucks a month? Can you believe God for more money? Where's your faith, right? Can you position yourself to receive more from him? We're dull. Believe God. And my daughter was on the phone talking about food prices. She's like, yeah, Dad, I shifted off chicken because of this and that and that. And I go, oh, yeah, what happened? She's like, they went up three bucks a pound or something like that. And I said, yeah, I was, you know what I asked the Lord? Some of this, will be, this, this, is, this is healthy right here. I'm like, yeah, Lord, what about food prices? You know what he told me? Eat less. <laughs> Eat less. We, we, have, we live in the United States. It's a cornucopia, man. You know what I'm saying? One meal is like a month's worth of food for some people. The amount of food that we consume. You ever see what you scrape off your plate? We're in a land of milk and honey and in abundance. And God's been good to us. Don't let things affect you. Don't be affected by this. Certainly don't engage in fear. This is, again, this is again false prophetic or false narratives. There are false narratives that the culture speaks. A false narrative isn't just within the, isn't just within the church. The world is speaking a false narrative. Who told you that? There's going to be an environmental disaster. Global warming, got to shut everything down. The earth's going to end. We're going to live and survive on this planet. You know what I say? I say, no, we're not. They're like, how do you know that? Because the Bible doesn't say 
the world will end in a global shutdown. It's not going to be an environmental disaster. That's a false prophet. That's a false narrative that's trying to manipulate and control me outside of what God told me. He tells us, right? He's told us. We know the end from the beginning. It's not going that way. That's not the way it's going to go. <laughs> These people make it up as they go along. They teach, they influence, and they lead the Christian. This is the whole thing. It's all about voices. It's all about voices. Jesus said, my sheep, what? Try it. Moses was led by his voice. What I say. And so the devil is always trying to manipulate, control, or insert competing voices into our lives. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. It's not a small thing. So what you have in this culture is you have weak, apathetic leaders, and they're bringing worldly cultural values into the church. That's what they're bringing. They're bringing a value system from, that is outside of God's kingdom, and they're inserting it within the church. And Christians follow the, the, culture of narrative, the narr cultural narrative. This is what's happening. You have Christians that are following cultural narratives. CNN. They, 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 they're getting more influence from CNN, ABC. God, we already say it. Disney, Disney's lost its mind. Disney has lost its mind, people. And, and we're getting our cues from these types of, these types of narratives. We're getting our, our instructions from these types of, of storylines. That's not where we get our instructions. My wife was asking me, because she wants to do after school the prophetic, she was asking me, uh, we just talk all the time about something, you know, which is great, but she was talking to me about she wants to do like a school on prayer, like intercessory and, and stuff like that. She wants to do a school of prayer. She was asking me about it. And she's like, you know, what kind of activations could I do for a school on, on prayer? I'm like, have people watch the news or read the paper and ask the Lord for a hopeful prophetic word about what they read and get them to pray into that. So whatever the fear is, Lord, what do you say? What is the word of hope related to that? What do you say? And begin to speak and declare into that. We're the opposite spirit. We're in this world, but we're not of it. Right? Kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of our God. So what's happening is, is their marching orders were not coming through Scripture. They weren't following Scripture. They weren't, they weren't living in faith. Right? Everything that's not of faith is sin, the Bible says. Try that one on. What does that mean? Anything that we're doing that does not have God as its central component in believing and reaching for and drawing from his best, our inheritance, his purposes, is off course. That's, the, that's that word sin. It's not condemning sin. It's a sin that's taking you off course. So if you're living a life that's not based in faith, faith in what he said, faith in who you are, faith in what your inheritance is, if you're not living a life directed like that, you're off course. That's the idea. He uses strong words. He uses the word destructive heresies, heretics, heretic, heretic. What does this mean? A heretic is a separate opinion. That's what a heretic means. Christian churches have an what they call orthodox beliefs, right? So we have, what are they? They're, 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 they're universally accepted as true. So let's just say it. In Christianity, there are closed-hand beliefs, and there are open-hand beliefs. You understand that? This is what's orthodox. This is important, but it's not necessary to the maintenance of the orthodoxy or the structure of the church. A heresy is what violates the orthodoxy of the church. So what is the orthodoxy? That Jesus is God. Yeah? He's not a man. 
He's not, he's not Michael's brother. He's God come down. That's orthodox. That's not in, we're not in debate on that. Right? And if they are in debate on that, then that's an unorthodox church, and that's not really a church. That's a cult. Yeah? Christ is Lord. What is it? Scripture is the authoritative word of God. Scripture isn't, isn't just a narrative. Yeah, it has narrative in it, but it's God's word. Like it or not, it's God's word. You may not understand it. You may not agree with it, but it's still God's word. That's orthodox. To say that, well, it's just a... I've had people say... Well, we believe the Bible is a trajectory of God. Yeah. You keep thinking like that, and that trajectory is going to be the conga line to hell. That's what that trajectory is going to be. <laughs> they say it. They say it. It's a trajectory. We don't believe it's absolute. Orthodox belief is that man is fallen and is sinful, and that we don't have the answers, but Jesus is the answer. That's an orthodox belief. We're not all inherently good. We're fallen. Is there goodness in man? Yeah, some. But at the core of his being, he's fallen. Or her being, he's fallen. And the only hope of humanity is not in you know, finding yourself and awakening the God within. The hope of humanity is submission unto Christ as Lord. And that does away with the old and gives birth to the new. That's an orthodox belief. There's one way for man to be saved. This is orthodoxy. That's orthodox. This is in debate. You don't think this is in debate? This is in debate. Never in my lifetime did I ever think that churches would be debating whether or not Christ was the only way, but they're debating it in your country right now. And it's the new modern progressive churches that want to, re they're the revisionists that think that we, they're the woke Christians, right? The woke. Well, we don't, well, everybody, it's your truth. That's your truth. That's your belief. You know, we all serve the same God. No, we don't. If your God's name isn't Jesus Christ Almighty, then you don't serve the same God as me. Let's just be clear. Yeah? Let's just be certainly clear on this subject. Jesus bows to no one. No one. No one. He is equal to no one. He's the one, among, he's the one among many. He's the one and only. He's not the one among many. He's the one and only. Well, we all serve Islam and, 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 you know, the Mormons, you know, and, and all these different people that we all serve the same God. We're all going to end up in the same place. No, we're not. That's not orthodox, Christian. That is unorthodox. That is outside the fundamental framework of Scripture. Well, hell's not real. We believe hell's on earth, so we don't think that hell's real. Is hell real? Hell, yeah, hell's real. Yes, it is. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, right? By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. That's how I came to Jesus. They're so like, if you die tonight, you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. I'm like, sign me up. Where, where do I do? <laughs> well, we don't want to preach that message. It's part of the message. It's not the whole message, but it's part of it. If you don't come by, if you don't come by love, then you need to be told. Your house is on fire, and it's only a matter of time until this thing burns to the ground. If you don't want God's loving acceptance, he's put a ladder up against your building and a way for you to come down because your, boy, your building's on fire. If you don't want that, then you need to understand that it's start your watch, start your clock. It's only a matter of time. This, again, this is orthodoxy. And these are the things that are actually in debate. Just like they were in debate in, G in Peter's time, they are in debate now. Now. They're debating this stuff. They are. 
Yeah, eternal life and eternal damnation. God is in three persons. Those are orthodox beliefs. Those are not open for discussion. That is the framework upon which this kingdom comes forth into this world. What are the open hand beliefs? Well, baptism is essential, but the method of baptism, even though the word means immersion, so we would have debates on that. The word means immersion. So do we, do we sprinkle or do we dunk? The Bible, the, the, baptism, yes, it's an immersion, but what it is is it's an oath of fealty. It's an oath of loyalty. That's what it means. You are publicly declaring loyalty unto Jesus. Above all gods, I serve this one, and I give my life to him. And so it's a bit of an open-handed thing. Say I was sprinkled. What, do you want to get dunked? Right? What about the person in the wheelchair? Can they get dunked? Oh, you mean they're not baptized? Is it okay to sprinkle them? You know what I'm saying? It, gets, it, 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 it turns into an open-hand discussion. It's not that ba baptism isn't essential. It's the manner in which we do it. God's given us philosophies. And so the church has, has different styles and different philosophies, right? Different ways. Philo philosophy is just the way that things are done. We take these fundamentals and we can philosophically apply them any way we want, right? Another open-handed thing, which I don't personally think it's open-handed, but it is, is the gifts of the Spirit, right? We have tons of churches that don't believe in the power of God or the gifts of the Spirit. Ready? 70% of all American churches, 70%, 7 out of 10 American churches don't believe God heals today. Yeah? Yeah? Well, just go off in 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. That's the first interview you should be conducting with the pastor. Do you believe in the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit? No. I meet charismatic Christians, Christians who are born again and believe in the power of the Spirit, and they go to, they go to churches that are cessationist, which means they don't believe. They believe the gifts have ceased. I'm like, you're a born-again believer who believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why are you going to that church? Do you not understand that there's a fundamental disalignment with the core of your belief? doesn't mean that church is unorthodox. But you know something, and you're conforming to a belief system that does not, is not congruent with what you know to be true. Seven out of ten churches in the United States don't believe in healing. And of the 30%, less than 10 actually practice it. And of the 10, less than 3% ever see miracles. Huh? Ever see miracles. We see miracles all the time because we practice it. Right? We go for it. We give it a shot. Let's just go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the way we conduct church services, that's all open to debate. Some of you have been to different churches. They're like, wow, y'all do things differently here. Yeah. You know, some churches are very liturgical. By the minute. By the minute. It's 11.01. That song should be three minutes and 46 seconds. Exactly. By the minute. Some churches are very, uh, the order of service, you know, and the way they conduct the order of service, that's an open-handed thing. It's a preference thing. You understand that? That's why, difference are, that's why difference, different textures to different churches when you go there. There's different culture, different feeling. We just try to keep it real. A little bit more like coming into the living room, right? Hanging out, right? Relating, being with your father, letting him enjoy you, you enjoying him, right? It's not all about the liturgic liturgy and, oh, my gosh, am I doing this right? Am I saying this right? You know, is it, it, do I, am I using the right language? Am I dressed the right way? That's what goes on in people's minds, we create cultures that, that prefer that. We want everybody dressed the same way. And if you can't dress this way, well, all of a sudden, you, I don't want you thinking about how you're dressed. 
Now, that excludes the ladies, of course. But, you know, I don't want you thinking about how, because women cannot help but think about how they're dressed. But, like, you know, like, that shouldn't be in your consciousness. It shouldn't be in your consciousness whether you know all the lingo or not. You understand? If that's in your consciousness and you're coming into God's presence, then that's interfering with what God wants to do. We want to put Jesus in front of you and let him do his thing. We don't want all these other, just, that's, just, that's, our, that's, that's our philosophical approach. Different churches have different things. Well, it's about his holiness and his reverence, God. Nothing joyful ever happened in the holiness of God. There is no joy, no smiling. We are the frozen chosen. We are the no fun fundamentalists. No smiling. <laughs> I always love this one. They're like, Pastor, you should wear a suit. You'll be more biblical. I said, actually, I should wear a robe and sandals, and then I'll really be more biblical. That's the context that we view it through. You know, the church is to be relative. Do do, do you, you know, it's like it's relative to your everyday. If you like to wear suits, wear suits. If you want to wear flip-flops and baggies, then wear flip-flops and baggies. Huh? I don't think there's a woman in this room that ever do this. You ladies, you want to come with your hair and curlers? Then bring your hair and curlers. We don't care. (laughs) I have to do a check before I leave the house. My wife's like, let me check you over. Okay. Okay, you look good. You're all right, good. She's trying to move me in different directions, and I'm like, I had to ask her about the belt. Does Does this belt go with these pants and this shirt? She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm good. You know, it's like, I got to do a look check. She got she to she look me over. <laughs> she was like, you don't want, I mean, I dress, I dress, I, I'm not like that bad, but she, you know, to her taste, she wants me a little more preppy, a little bit more preppy. She likes preppy. That's what my wife likes, preppy. Me, I like biker, rocker. I'm not preppy. I'm a rocker. Like, Jesus the rock, that's what I do, I rock. I rock for Jesus. <laughs> so they were introducing contradictions. This is before the internet. This is before the nightly news. And so there's happening, these teachers are seeing this group of people and they're like, whoa, we can blow my Facebook page up with that group. My, my, my Instagram status will go up. I could get more TikTok views if I can get these people to follow me. And they're just basically questioning all of the belief systems that were being laid out. And because these church, these Christians were very new, they were new to the whole thing. Most of them are Gentiles. They're not Jews. So with the Jews, the, the, the message was always come out of the old, come out of the religion, come out of what is dead, come into the new. With the Gentiles, it was always come out of what is corrupt, right? Come out of the former corruption of your life. See, the Jews were righteous and holy, and, but they were frozen. And so the message of the scripture is always, you know, it's dead. The veil's been torn. The temple is gone. It means nothing. Move out of that system of, of ritual and come into liberty. With the Gentiles, they understood liberty quite well. Oons, 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 oons. You know, they got that. And so what God is trying to do is take them out of the corrupt form of liberty and bring them into a more conformed form of liberty that is true freedom and true liberty. And so what's going on is many are following. So the Bible says this, many will follow. So these corrupt teachers are bringing in destructive heresies. And Peter says many are going to follow it. Why? Because he tells them. 
Their teaching is sensual. It appears to the senses. Everything they're doing is sensual. It just feels good. It just feels, I'm all in on feeling, except when it comes to doctrine. We don't compromise doctrine just because it feels good. Yeah? We should all feel good. Jesus is a God of life and love, and you should come here and be like, yeah. But we don't change our position or our doctrine, or we don't compromise things just because it feels good. It just feels good. It just feels like it's the loving thing to do, but it's immoral. But it feels good. It feels good. And so it was a culture that they were teaching things that were all based on sensory, all based upon feeling, not what is right. Your feelings have to subordinate to what is right. Huh? It, it feels right, but it, it's destruction. It's apollyon. It will steal from you. It will take your being. It will take the life out of you. It doesn't feel, it's like, it feels good. It's all about human emotion and how it makes you feel. Are you comfortable? So our modern churches. Are you comfortable? I sit with pastors. You think I'm kidding? I haven't been in pastors group in a while because my wife tells me I don't play nice with others. I'm like, I like to play with everybody. I just have a problem sometimes when people say, well, we should edit sin. Don't use the word sin. If, you go, if you've ever been to another church and you've ever, if you ever listened to somebody online or listened to teachings, and I encourage you to keep building yourself up, but if you listen to, oh, let's just say 10, 10 teachings, and there's no mention of sin, there's no mention of repentance, there's no mention of submission unto Christ alone in 10 messages, you just might have a problem there because that's, that, that, is like, that is a core part of what this gospel teaches. That it's unto Christ. It's not about you. It's about him. And that our message is flipped. No, it's all about you. It's all about you. You can live your best life now. Jesus wants to make you a champion. Yeah, I'm, I, I get that. That's true in part. But it's not, it's, not, it's not true from this direction. It's true from this direction. So as I give myself unto him, then his power comes unto me. As I give myself unto him, then his power transforms me. Then I can be the champion that I truly am. So it's true in part, but it's not true in whole. And it's, it's misdirected. And what ends up happening? It produces shallow believers. It produces empty believers. Just what happens. So 2 Timothy says, in the last days, men will not endure sound doctrine. They won't be able to take it. They just can't take it. We need to get the word sin out of here, pastor. Don't, don't, don't use that word sin. Don't say anything about morality. People are where people are. Don't say anything. You know, this is, this is kind of where our modern churches are. We need to edit that. I was in a meeting, and it was a pastor leading the meeting. And he was a guy in Texas, and he was talking about all these different things. And, and, um, and I said something. And I, I dare I use the word sin. I said it. And I said, we need to, you know, I don't even know what I said. It wasn't anything crazy. But I, always, I do remember this. He goes, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop you right there. That's what he does. He goes, I'm going to edit that word. He said, see, we wouldn't use that. We wouldn't use that word in our context. We wouldn't use that word in our culture. All right, well, Jesus used it in his culture, right? Sin is not condemning. Sin means you're off. If you're a Christian, there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. You are loved and accepted on your worst day. Your sin does not disqualify you because your, your lack of sin doesn't qualify you. Jesus is your qualifier. He qualifies you. And Jesus said, all who come to me, I will no way cast off. He's not getting rid of you. If you're faithless, he's faithful. 
So it's not about a sin of condemnation. The idea of sin is that you're off, you're misaligned with what God wants. This choice, this action, this belief system is not aligned with what God wants. You're free. As a Christian, you're free to keep making those choices. All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. It's true. That blows us away, especially holiness traditions that try to control everybody's external behaviors. The Holy Spirit doesn't try to control your external behaviors. He wants to rule your inner world. And if the Holy Spirit rules your inner world, then your external behaviors, you're not going to have a problem with that. That's the idea. So what's, what is it? Is it about managing people's external behaviors? No, it's about getting them to yield more of their lives to Christ. And as they more yield more and more of their lives to Christ, the Spirit becomes the more dominant force. And as the Spirit becomes the more dominant force, all of this other stuff just goes by the wayside. All right? You can keep choosing. Yeah. Is that, does that condemn you? No. Probably isn't going to do much for you. Right? You might get something itchy if you keep doing that, but, you know, hey, it's your choice. Right? You might find yourself in a ditch before long, but, hey, it's your choice. God's desire is life. His desire is hope. So that's the idea. So when we shouldn't fear the word. We should never fear the word sin because it's a, it's, it's a wouldn't you want to know? Right? We were going to Orlando. My wife says, you'll never let me forget this. You'll never. This is back in the day before GPS. Some of you are like, what? There was no GPS? Yes, there used to be a time in America where there were no cell phones and there were no GPS. So we were taking the kids to Orlando and we're driving and I kept saying, and I'm never right on directions when it comes to driving the car. It's like, it's like the Lord has transferred all that information to Sherry. You know, she feels important. She's my navigator. So we'll always be looking at her, right? She's the navigator in the car. And she's like, no, no, no. We're going this way. I go, I think we're going the wrong way. She's like, I'm telling you, this is the right way. So we drive, and we drive like an hour and a half in the wrong direction. And we turn around, like, and she's always telling me, you'll never let me forget that, because I always like, yeah, remember that time? <laughs> I have to stop using it because it's more than a decade old, so it's kind of like lost its luster. But anyway, if you're going the wrong direction, wouldn't you like somebody to tell you that? Huh? Do you want to spend 12 years of your life going in the wrong direction and go... I wish somebody would have told me that. That's really what sin is. Is it says you're going in the wrong direction. You're not going the right way. Well, if you're a Christian, that's what it means. This is your destination. This is what God wants for you. This is the direction, the general direction. God wants you to go north, and you're going west, right? Wouldn't you want somebody to tell you that? So I don't know why we'd be afraid of that. We shouldn't be afraid of repentance either. All repentance is is getting back on the road. Oh, I repent. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was doing. Maybe I did. You know, I did that out of ignorance. I did that out of arrogance. I repent. I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going this way. We shouldn't fear these words. They're gifts to us. Repentance is a gift. Wouldn't it be horrible if you screwed up and you never got a second chance? You never got a chance to correct your mistakes? That's what repentance does is it gives us an opportunity to get back on track. So we shouldn't fear those words. We shouldn't be afraid of that. It says, through covetousness, these teachers will exploit you. This word covetous means they don't want something for you. They want something from you. That's what covetous means. They want to take from you. They don't want to give to you. What do they want to take from you? Well, they want to to take whatever it is you have. They're looking to gain from you. They're looking to gain popularity from you, but they're never adding anything in your life. And what they're really doing is they're pleasing you. They're trying to keep all the plates spinning so that they please you, so that they can keep getting whatever it is that they're, they're 
you know, vicariously getting. They don't want to do what's best for you. This is another thing. Is it, is it, is it, is, is it, is it all about the guy's ego? Now, I get it. In the modern world, I, we have these debates. You know, churches need to be branded. I agree. Churches need to be promoting. I agree. It's part of the evangelism concept of the modern day. I get all that. But it shouldn't be exclusively about me. You understand this? I shouldn't be up there signing 8x10 glossies. You know what I mean? Hey, how's it going? You know? It, should, it shouldn't be about me. It shouldn't be like the twinkle. I shouldn't be the rock star that comes on stage and comes off, and every time you see me, i got an entourage. I went to, I've been to conferences where guys come in like that. Got their boys walking beside them. Years ago, it was guys with briefcases walking beside the elite. Now it's the bros with the chains and the hat walking beside the pastor. Yeah? <laughs> I was at a conference one time, and a guy gets up on stage. He's like, some of y'all are out here with, with entourages. He's like, you serve Jesus. He goes, who's trying to kill you? He's like, come on. It's just you and me. Who is trying to kill you? <laughs> Got like four guys in your train, you know what I'm saying? It's about Jesus. And you know who Jesus makes it about to me? You. You. I will set shepherds over my people who will have my heart. The rest are hirelings. They run when danger comes. They're only doing it for what they get. All right? If you love me, Peter, what? Take care of my people. It's the calling. Is it's about Jesus, and then Jesus makes it about you. You understand that? And how is it made about you? It's made about you from the front that I say it's about Jesus, and Jesus loves you. You see the exchange? It's this exchange that happens. That's why proper teaching matters. It's why proper ministry matters. Because it affects change. Within, this is what God wants. It affects the transformation and the change. It's not about a show, you know. It's not about, it's, it, it, like, again, I, I say that, not saying that there's no production. I'm talking about substance. Not, not, not all of the, you know, all of the decorations, Right? It's like a wedding. You go to a wedding rehearsal. You go to a wedding. It's not, about, it's not about the setting. It's not about the vases and the flowers. It's about the bride. That's really what a reception is about. It's not even about the groom. We, we wear, every groom wears the same thing. We all come in a black tuxedo. Yeah, hey, what's going on? Oh, yeah. It's about the bride. It's about the bride. And to the groom, our groom, it's about the bride. That's what it's about. And as the friend of the bridegroom, I'm supposed to tell the bride how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how lavish your groom is. Oh, he's loaded. He's got so many things in store for you. He loves you. He's safe. You can give yourself to him. He will not hurt you. You can yield all of your life to him. He loves you. He cares for you. That's my job. That's the friend of the bridegroom concept. I'm to get you to fall in love with Jesus, not fall. You know, like, you all love me. I appreciate it. I need all the love I can get. God help me. I need your prayers. I'm just like, hey, man, I pray for you every day. I'm like, thank you. You know, I need that. That's not, it's not an issue where, where the, the, the leader isn't valued. It's that the, the leader isn't featured in a sense that it's all about him or her. It's not all about you. It's about him. I don't know if I'm making sense. All right, so he gives, he gives three case studies. He gives the angels. He gives the ancient world, and he gives Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, look. These all wanted to do their own thing. They all didn't think they had to follow the right way. And look what happened to them. You think you're any different? 
right? The angels were beautiful. God's like, it's not your beauty. In the ancient world, we've got a great idea. We'll build a religion of our own. We'll build our own belief system. Didn't end well there. Sodom and Gomorrah, all bets are off. We don't need any moral constraints. We can do whatever we want. Eat, drink, party, you know, sexual licentiousness, all bets are off. Didn't end well with them. <laughs> and then he uses the one guy I want to point out to you. So he uses these case examples as he does Lot. Lot comes out of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So the angels come down to check it out. They go there, they look, and they're like, whoa, this is worse than we heard. This is bad. Lot, you might want to gather up your family because I don't think this city's going to be here very long. And so Lot leaves with his family. And as he leaves, what's his wife do? Anybody? She looks back. What had happened was this Lot had positioned his family willfully and immersed it so deeply within a culture that his own wife's heart became bound to it. It gets worse, right? What was she looking for? People always ask me, they don't ask me, but I've heard this conversation many times. Well, what, would you, what did she look back for? Maybe Neiman Marcus, I don't know. You know. Maybe it was Bloomingdale's. Maybe they heard Allie was coming out with some new designs. They're like, what? I don't know. I don't know what she was looking back at, but she looked back. She, she chose the lingering past and wouldn't embrace the hopeful future. And so what happens with Lot, let's just show you how culture affects us when we allow it to immerse us. After Lot comes out, he's got two daughters, right? Difficult pastor of scripture. But his two daughters are counseling within themselves and they're like, hey, all our friends are gone. We don't know anybody anymore and we'll never have children. So here's an idea. I'll get dad drunk tonight and I'll have sex with him. And then you get dad drunk tomorrow night and you have sex with him so that we can have babies. And you say that's perverted. Not if you graduated from Sodom High School, it's not. That's Tuesday. Not if you grew up in Sodom culture, that, made, that makes perfect sense to you. They were immersed in the perversion of the culture in which they were placed. And so every form, that didn't even, didn't even cross their mind that this might be wrong. Got me? Say, that's wrong, how could they do that? Because they were immersed in a mindset. They were swimming in a mindset. They were in this world. And they're like, well, hey, incest is cool. You know, we, well, I've seen incest in Sodom. Let's just go for some incest now. Was nothing wrong with it there? Why would it be wrong with it now? All the kids in high school had sex with their parents. Why can't we? Say, so that's perverted. No, that's Tuesday in Sodom. Do you understand that? This is what happens. This is what happens when all this cultural stuff starts happening, is that we, we, we allow it to immerse us. And you're like, it's not that bad, Kevin. Yeah, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just a thought. So the Old Testament economy was God was restraining. Sin, sin in the New Testament is God is... So in, in the Old Testament, God is, sin was dealt with immediately. There was no restraining power on sin. That's why God dealt with it quickly and immediately. Because it was if he didn't, this tumor is going to grow and it's going to take over everything. And so because there was nothing to constrain or restrain the sin, God had to deal with it immediately and very, very quickly. And you see that all the time through the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we have a restraining power or constraining power is the Holy Spirit. Whether you believe it or not, the Holy Spirit does hold back things. <laughs> he is holding things back to our own good. And so people mistake God's kindness as approval. 
Just because God's gracious isn't immediately dropping fire down from the sky doesn't mean he approves it. He's not approving this, right? That's not what's going on. Anything that contradicts the basic structure. So what do we know? And I'm going to give you some hope. Anything that contradicts the basic structure of Scripture is heresy. That's what you need to know. Does it contradict the basic structure? So you'll be known by their fruit. Do they want something from you or do they want something for you? That's a question, right? Are they trying to get you on their agenda? That's the narrative of the culture. What's going on in the narrative of the culture is there's a systematic agenda that's being pumped. What do you think they're trying to do? Why is it that all of the news channels say the same thing every night? This guy's saying this. They're all saying the same thing. It's like they're getting their news. It would just seem to me that they're all getting their news from one source. Wouldn't that seem weird to you? Does it ever seem weird to you? That you hear it on the radio, and if you ever listen to that, and you hear it on the news, and it seems like all of this is coming from, are these guys, they're like the Borg? Are they like, they all have like a hive mind that they all just think the same? Or are they getting their news from the same place? And so what happens is, is that there's a narrative being, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to influence a mindset. Trying to influence a mindset. I've been really hard on Disney, and I'm going to keep being hard on Disney. Disney wants your children, ladies and gentlemen, and not just them, everyone else. They are trying to indoctrinate your children. They are creating transgender characters, and they are creating homosexual characters, and they're creating all of these really whacked out stuff for five-year-olds. Does anybody here want your five-year-old exposed to that? Does anybody here want your nine-year-old exposed to that? Does anybody here want your 13-year-old exposed to that? Who should be the one that exposes them to anything, if at all? It should be you and not them. A cartoon company, right? Just a thought. There's a narrative being pushed. There's a control being pushed. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to create a generation. They're trying to saturate a mindset. And they're trying to take impressionable minds and create confusion. That's what they're trying to do. And try to, you know, all of this different stuff. And if you don't think that this is on purpose, you don't know what you're, you don't know what you're, you're, you don't see it. You don't see it. It is on purpose, Christian. It's on purpose. They're doing it on purpose. They're trying to get you to believe. It's the same thing, like, even with the economy. There's going to be a recession. Prepare yourself for the recession. Every single person is saying the same thing. Do you know that? Oh, Elon Musk is laying off employees because he's in preparation for the recession. Oh, the stock analysis is saying, sell now, be prepared for the recession. And every single one is saying it's a recession. It's a collective, ne- why are they trying to do that? Because they're trying to move you like a herd of cattle. Huh? They're trying to shove you in a direction that they want you to go. Oh, I don't believe that. Oh, really? Oh, really? You don't get out much. The question is, in light of all these voices, what are you saying? I told you before, God, I talked about that to the Lord, and it was like, you don't participate in recessions. I'm like, I don't participate in recessions. I told my neighbor that. The guy comes down with a golf cart. And I was talking to him. He's like, oh, and then we're talking about just stupid stuff. And I try to push Jesus in there anytime I can, but he just kind of looks at me like, what? This one got his attention. He's like, oh, I wouldn't be making any big moves. He's like, you know we got to get ready for the recession. You know, there's a recession coming next year. We don't know what's coming. I just looked, I looked at him. I literally said this. I said, I don't participate in recessions. His head went like that. I was like, what? I said, I don't participate in recessions. I said, I'm not bound to this world. I'm bound to his. You know, and I'm like, I'm a Christian. 
I'm not just a Christian. I'm a kingdom Christian. Do you understand that? All y'all here, you're not Christians. You're kingdom Christian. You're varsity. Huh? This is the first round draft picks right here. Right here. You're varsity. You're not Christian. You're not common. You're uncommon. There's lots of common Christians. You are not. You're kingdom Christians. Big difference. How different is that? It's massive. Massive. All the Christians follow the voices. They told us this is what we are to do. do, 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 do. They told us this is what we are to do. do, 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 do. What does the Lord say? What is El Roy, the God who sees, what does he say? What does El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, say? Is he speaking fear? Is he speaking uncertainty? Not at all. It's just we don't listen to it, so the voice is silent. His voice is only open to those who want to hear him. If you don't want to hear him, you don't ever have to worry about hearing him. You won't ever hear him. People say, I don't hear God. I'm like, the Bible says you will search for me and know me and find me when you search for me with what? All your heart. I will be found of you. I will speak to you. I will meet with you. I will comfort you. I will console you. I will give you wisdom. The problem is you don't want it bad enough. Oh, I want it. I want it. Do you want it bad enough to get up early in the morning and spend an hour in worship if you've never developed yourself? If you've developed yourself, you can get there really quick. Yeah, you can get there a lot faster. If you haven't developed yourself, you don't have the muscle. So you're like, I can't hear God. Ah. You can't get the bar off your chest because you've never developed the muscles that are required to get into that moment. And so what you have to do is you've got to go into a training program, and you probably got to get a little bit more regimented. you got to get up early. you got to worship. you got to open your heart. you got to start reading your Bible. you got to start asking the Holy Spirit to talk to you. But once that's cultivated and you develop that as a habit, you can get there really quick. Huh? It's a learned process. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> is the teaching heavy on human opinion or feeling? Or is it heavy on truth? Let's look at the culture. Is what they're saying human opinion and feeling? Or is it truth? Is it truth? And say, well, it's true. You know, all these economic things here. That's what's true. No, that's reality. What's true? What's true? Exactly. Whatever the reality is, is irrelevant. Truth is what's relevant. And until the Christian gets that, you won't see any kind of change. You won't see any kind of change. So long as you are subjecting yourself to what is and refuse to rise above it, do you win every fight? Nine, I win nine out of ten. It takes me a while, but I win. But sometimes the fight's a lot longer than I want it to be. I think it's going to be one round. And then I'm ready to go 15, and it turns into 30. There's fights I'm still fighting. Believe me, but I'm fighting, and it's a good fight, and I'll win. And so will you. J just refuse this stuff. God didn't tell you that. He's going to take care of you. Who told you you're losing your job? If you lose your job, praise God. He's got something better. You think God's short on opportunities? He has plenty of opportunities, lots of them. So what should we do? So basically, I'm going to close it right here. I won't go into the scripture, but, Peter, but you can see it at the end of 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, from verse 16 on, he closes it. He basically is telling the church, this isn't a myth. What I'm talking to you about is not a myth. And how do you know it's not a myth, Peter? Because he goes, I was there. Right? I was there. I'm an eyewitness of his majesty. 
And so he's telling them about two things that they can trust in. You can trust in the eyewitness testimony, and you can trust in the sure word of the prophetic, which is the word of God. He said, you can trust in this, and you can trust in this. He talks about the transfiguration. It's like, let me tell you about a day that was awesome. I was with Jesus for a long time, and then we had this really awesome day. And we went up to the mountain, and he showed me who he was. He revealed his glory to me. And it got better. We started having a Bible study, and Moses and Elijah shows up. You know it's a good Bible study when Jesus shows you. Jesus is there, and Moses and Elijah come up too. So you know that was a good day. That was a good day. And he tells them, you can trust in what I'm telling you because it's true. The eyewitness testimony is valid. And he said, and if that's not enough for you, you can trust in the word of God. 30% of all the scripture is prophetic. Jesus was born according to the word of God. Jesus was crucified according to the word of God. Jesus was resurrected according to the word of God. Jesus will come again according to the word of God. It's not going to happen any other way. It's going to happen according to the word of God. Scripture's about Jesus. It's not about you. We read the Bible. We learn the Bible. We develop ourselves in the Bible to be challenged and to be changed. Jesus doesn't need editors. He needs teachers. Everybody wants to run around and edit the Bible. Everybody wants to edit it, edit, edit, edit. Jesus isn't looking for an editor. He's not looking for somebody to edit it. <laughs> Believe me, this verse, this chapter was hard for me. I'm like, what? Can't I skip that? I don't want to teach that. So it's an art form. Because if you look at it in its raw content, you look at it what it really is and how raw it is, but then you got to kind of back up and you got to say, okay, where, where, where do you want me to go with this? How do you want me to do this? All right? It's not easy. What God wants doesn't one look doesn't looking for people to edit his word. He's looking for people to proclaim his word. Right? He's not looking for people to reinterpret him. He's looking for people to re reveal him. Jesus doesn't need a reinterpretation. We're all out re trying to reinterpret Jesus. Reveal who he is. Right? Learn who he is for yourself. That way you can truly reveal who he is. Amen? Amen. Shelly, I'd like to point out to you that I am two minutes early. <laughs> Amen. We're going, to take, we're going to take communion here at Elevate. We bless you guys. We bless you all. Uh, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to do it real quick. If you don't know Jesus, you say, man, I don't know the Lord. I'm going to show you how you can. You can come out of darkness and into light. It's a simple prayer. It's a 40-second prayer that's life-changing. Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of his glory. We all have the same problem. We're fallen and lost. We need a savior. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then the Bible says if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be coming out. You're from an outsider. You'll become an insider. You'll be in with the in crowd. 